Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Leaky Cauldron. Today we will be discussing the extensive foreshadowing in this chapter and debating the merits of both Arthur and Molly's arguments about protecting Harry from Sirius Black. So the chapter begins with Harry enjoying his freedom wandering around Diagon Alley in his free couple of weeks before school begins. While he's walking down the street one day, he sees um, the firebolt in the display window of Quality Quidditch Supplies, and he fantasizes at length about owning what a powerful broom, but ultimately decides not to spend all of his money on it. Harry also goes to get his books for the school year and finds that the Monster Book of Monsters, which he received from Hagrid as a gift, is actually assigned. Then he runs into Ron and Hermione, who, as it turns out, are all staying at the Leaky Cauldron. So he sort of has some family time with all of the Weasleys and Hermione there. They all go to a pet shop together so that Ron can get some medicine for Scabbers, who isn't feeling well. Um, And Hermione also says that she wants an owl because she does not have a pet. While they're at the pet shop, a cat jumps down from the ceiling and attacks Ron. Um, So they kind of run away, and then Hermione's still in the pet shop, and she comes out with the cat, who is Crookshanks. So then they meet up with the rest of the Weasleys, um, and everyone makes fun of Percy regarding him being so pompous about being head boy. Um, And they find out the Ministry is providing cars to take them to King's Cross, which is the subject of a line of questioning from the rest of the family. Later that evening, Harry overhears an argument between Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, The gist of which is that Sirius Black is after Harry, and that's why they have all this protection. And Arthur thinks that Harry has a right to know what's going on, and Molly thinks that it'll just scare him, and there's no reason to do that. We also find out in that discussion that um, the reason that Sirius Black is in Azkaban is that he murdered 13 people with a single curse, and that the quote-unquote Azkaban guards will be stationed at Hogwarts this year against Headmaster Dumbledore's wishes. So to start off our discussion, we have some foreshadowing in this chapter. Actually, we have quite a lot of foreshadowing Mm -hmm. in this chapter. Um, But let's start with the fun stuff first. Okay. So we get our first glimpse of a new broom called the Firebolt. Yes. Very exciting. So Harry is seeing, it's a crowd of people really surrounding this Firebolt. And he goes back and looks at it every day. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we know that Harry will eventually receive the Firebolt um, as an anonymous gift. But right now, Harry's choosing not to splurge, even though he probably technically has the money for it. He is not buying the Firebolt because he knows that that's not necessary. Yeah, and and I think that's a good reflection of Harry's character, right? Because he's only 13, but he's already demonstrated, I guess, the mental fortitude and maturity to not spend all of his money on a racing broom. And, And instead, he's like, no, I should save my money because... Wouldn't it be really bad if I had to, like, beg the Dursleys for money for school supplies when I'm 17? Yeah, I think that comes along with just knowing that you don't really have anyone to have your back. Mm-hmm. And he only found out a couple years ago that he had any money left from his parents. And now that he has it, he's like, I better keep this so that if I need to be on my own, I can have it because I don't really have any family. Yeah, but I think there is a lot of maturity there because I think a lot oh, yeah. of children, even orphan or, you know, people, people like Harry who have been poor their whole life and then suddenly 
come into a bunch of money, I think a lot of those people would spend it all. Yeah, because no one knows how to manage it. So he, it, right. it is pretty possibly unrealistic, but also shows <laughs> something of his character. I don't know about unrealistic, but I do think, you know, the author is trying to tell us something about his character. He is a little more mature about money than other people his age maybe are. Um, especially Ron, who is sort of immature about money, but from the complete opposite side. Mm-hmm. He's right? never he's, had it. He's very embarrassed about his financial mm-hmm. situation. Um, and while Harry feels like, well, there's no reason for you to be embarrassed, you know, like, it's just your situation. Right. Um, but it still is a point of contention between the two of them. I also think the Firebolt um, is a cool introduction here because we're going to see that, yes, Harry does get gifted the Firebolt later on. But the author does a really good job of building up all this hype about it in Harry's head and, like, externally. Yeah. So that when he does receive the gift, it's like he just got bought a luxury car. Right. From some anonymous donator. And that's why Hermione and Professor McGonagall and all these other people are going to be like, you know what, this is probably a trick. Yeah. Because who would buy you a luxury car or what amounts to a luxury car? Yeah, it's like there's something – there's some – ulterior motive that has to be behind it because Mm -hmm. it's something that's so unnecessary and so extravagant right like you don't necessarily need this good a broom you could get by on a clean sweep or something right so the next major piece of foreshadowing is the monster book of monsters and hagrid so we already have seen a scene where harry is gifted this by hagrid um and we already mentioned that it's because hagrid is the professor or the teacher of care of magical creatures and um, we don't know, we still don't know that at this point, but we do get another clue, which is that this book is actually assigned. And Harry's sort of like, that's weird. Why would someone assign this book? It's so crazy. Um, but he doesn't really put a lot of things together. Maybe he thinks that Hagrid knew it was assigned and was being nice. Yeah, I think that's what he thinks. Um, by giving it to him so he doesn't have to buy it. But it is, he's not really putting the whole story together, which why would he at this point? Right. So in that same scene, Harry's in the bookshop and he sees the cover of a book called Death Omens, What to Do When You Know the Worst is Coming. Mm -hmm. And on the cover is this black dog. And Harry says, what is that? And uh, the proprietor of the shop says, oh, you don't want to know about that. You'll start seeing Death Omens everywhere. It's really not good for your mental, you know. Um, But Harry recognizes the black dog or the grim as being the same sort of thing that he saw right before his near fatal encounter with the night bus. And so he tries to basically convince himself that he, uh, you know, is not fated to die and that he was just imagining things or that it's not real. Um, And he's not really that successful in convincing himself. No, he's not. Um, And this is just, so there are a lot of, we'll obviously get to divination and what that means, but and what the grim signal means, but it is, um, I forgot about this reference to it and how it's kind of keeps coming up and up until we finally figure out what it is. Yeah. And I think in particular, this book cover will sort of stick in Harry's head Mm -hmm. for a while, like the phraseology of the title and, you know, his own mental stability this year. Um, when he keeps being haunted by the grim, he really starts to doubt his own sanity for a little while. Okay. So Percy is obsessed with status, which we already know, but this kind of obsession with being a head boy and everyone's making fun of him, but he doesn't really care. Um, his family is sort of trying to encourage it, you know, by being saying we're proud of him, mostly Molly. But mostly then, Molly. 
everyone else pretty much is trying to just rein him in and say, you know, make fun of him basically for being so pompous. Yeah, he's just so pompous about it. And I think that really is the key here because yeah. like you you see it from the moment he enters the book, basically. He basically like introduces himself to Harry and he's like so grandiose and yeah. pompous about it. He's like, Harry, so good to see you. You know, it's yeah. like it's like Harry says in his head it is like being introduced to the mayor. Right. Yeah. And, and that's then, what Percy thinks. Right. And then Fred and George like you know they <laughs> pick up on him. this and they mock him incessantly Harry, so good to see yeah you. um and that's really good because you know they're trying to knock him down a peg they're right. trying to be like purse this is getting out of control man you know um great that you're head boy but like seriously you know seriously, you're not king dude, of the world chill. um and this is the foreshadowing of this is not only that Percy will kind of continue this throughout this book um but in the series, it's foreshadowing kind of his obsession with climbing the ladder and mm-hmm. doing things um, despite what his family thinks or, um, you know, even to betray his family as he does later. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's definitely establishing him as the sort of person who, like, status is everything to him. Right. You know, climbing the ladder, as you said. And um, when Harry and Ron are talking about this in Goblet of Fire, Ron is asked, you know, like, I don't think Percy would be the kind of person who would let... Um, something like, you know, Crouch being an imposter or whatever, go unnoticed or unreported. Um, And Ron says, I don't know, like, if he got to be Crouch's assistant by just, like, letting things slide or, like, not reporting something, I think he would do that. Yeah. And nothing else matters. Anything. Yeah. He'll do anything. Mm -hmm. So then we come to um, the scene in the pet shop. So they go there because Scabbers has not been looking well. Ron thinks that he's sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not too much to go off of, of this, but it's important for the reader to note that this happens before his interaction with Crookshanks. Right. So to establish our timeline here, Ron is later going to, th- to say or make the claim that Scabbers is looking so haggard because of Crookshanks. Right. Uh, but in fact, he was looking haggard before that. So right. we just need to be careful about um, our facts here. Yes, and one thing about Crookshanks that I was thinking is, you know, what is what do we think the literary purpose of Crookshanks is? I know that Crookshanks has a role in um, the Whomping Willow and stopping the Whomping Willow so that they can go into the Streaking Shack, but what do you think about why is Crookshanks kind of involved here? Crookshanks is essentially a clue about the nature of... Um, Things are not what they should be, mm-hmm. and things are wrong, and what's wrong. So Crookshanks is obviously smarter than most other cats. The author, I think, confirmed later in an interview that Crookshanks is, in fact, part Neasel, which a Neasel is like a magical cat that's hyper-intelligent, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have different facial features and stuff. Um, but in this book, I think Crookshanks's purpose is twofold. Essentially, it's to alert um, Harry and company to the the dual nature or the duplicitous nature of scabbers first and serious mm-hmm. um you know the grim is actually a human scabbers is actually a human right um and second it's to teach them how to get into the whomping willow yes right um and it also is just a strain on ron and hermione's friendship yes um which you know they've always kind of had that strain um but this book is when it first kind of comes to a head um where they're really kind of using this conflict between the animals but it is um you know it is their kind of flirty like always conflict thing but it is still mm-hmm. well it is i would say the first time where they are genuinely very upset with each other and they kind of 
it kind of will continue into future books, um, their conflict where they just feel like they're completely at opposite ends of things at some times. Yeah, and I think a lot of the things that are fundamental to their fight are, um, you know, Hermione makes a decision and Ron can't understand the logic of that decision mm-hmm. or he he thinks that she doesn't understand the consequences of it on them, mm-hmm. you know. So when Hermione turns Harry in for getting the firebolt, Ron feels like he and Harry were both betrayed by that. Right. And so he feels hurt. And then, you know, when Hermione continues to love and keep Crookshanks around, even though Scabbers is obviously, you know, in fear for his life whenever Crookshanks is around, Ron feels like she's not putting Scabbers' needs above Crookshanks's, or at least on the same level. Mm-hmm. And so he feels disrespected. It's this whole thing. And, you know, obviously it ends up being that Hermione is right and the boys are wrong in most cases. Um, but I think also we should keep in mind that um, Hermione might not be the best at like relating to the way that Harry and Ron feel about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that she works on in future yes, books too. Yes. So then we have like one more major piece of foreshadowing and then a minor one. Um, first, obviously all the stuff about Sirius Black, we finally learn why he was in Azkaban and sort of about why he may have escaped. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're reading it for the first time, you'll think, oh yeah, that's a very plausible reason. Um, on rereads, obviously we know that the presumptive reasons are incorrect. Right. Um, I think the key here is understanding that Arthur and the rest of the ministry have made an assumption. Right. And that assumption is that when Black whispers in his sleep, he's at Hogwarts, he's talking about Harry. Right. We know that's not true. But, um, you know, theoretically it could be any student or teacher it's just that the ministry thinks he's at Hogwarts means Harry because Black seems to have reasons to go after him. Right. You know, he caused Voldemort's downfall. Black was supposedly uh, Voldemort's second in command. So, you know, that he's a target. Right. Um, it makes sense to them, but it ends up not being true. Yeah. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of assumptions that are made before we get to this point and before we overhear this conversation that we'll talk about between Arthur and Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of assumptions that everyone else makes because of that. So it's really uh, taken taken quite far. Um, yeah, and if you're a veteran of mystery novels, this is a hallmark of that where mm-hmm. there's something that's um, taken as fact right. that... Wait, wait, when you get just the facts and not the assumptions that are taken as fact, you can see that there is a twist of logic there right. and that it ends up being not the case. And then the final uh, small piece of foreshadowing is just talking about Harry's Hogsmeade letter um, again. So in the previous chapter, Harry had asked Fudge to sign the Hogsmeade letter um, and he does not. So when Harry is thinking about this whole serious situation and when he overhears that Sirius is supposedly after him, the first thing he thinks of is, oh, I'm never going to be able to go to Hogsmeade with my friends, which is kind of bringing it full circle is a very typical 13-year-old, you know, kid thing to think about um, as opposed to his concern over Sirius Black being after him. I mean, you would think that a kid would also be concerned about that, but given Harry's history and like he says he's he's kind of very cocky about it he thinks like well i i've defeated Voldemort three times so i can handle serious black and he's like ah now everyone's gonna be so protective of me i'm not gonna be able to go out to hogsmeade so that's his main thing and that will lead to um him sneaking out and things later on yeah and that's a great segue into uh, a little 
debate exercise that I wanted to have between the two of us. So in this chapter, we have a debate between Arthur and Molly Weasley about what to do regarding Harry and this information that they have about Sirius being after him. Do they tell him? Do they not tell him? And we have an official ministry position, which is don't tell him. And then we have what's the right thing to do for Harry's well-being. Mm -hmm. You know, is it better to keep him in the dark and hope that he doesn't do anything stupid? Or is it better to tell him and then hope that he doesn't do anything stupid? Yeah, so I think that um, I'm a little bit conflicted about personally who I agree with. I do think that in some ways I feel very strongly that, you know, he has a right to know about his safety. You know, he's not a baby. He should be able to know about it. I feel that kind of on principle, but to argue Molly's point, um, especially knowing what we know about all the assumptions that have been made up to this point um, about how they came to the conclusion that Sirius Black is after Harry to kill him, um, which is a rather large leap from even what we know. I think that Molly is probably ultimately right here, not just because we know that the information ends up being untrue, but because it's probably going to make Harry do even stupider things since since he knows and doesn't agree with it. Um, and I think that because, especially because of the Dementors and because of everything going on, to have Harry know, and we can talk about what happens and what we think, but to have Harry know that that's all there for him, I mean, he already has enough of a hang-up about all this stuff. If they think it's so safe for him to really be there, um, then let him be ignorant of it. Um, at least until things escalate more, like until they say, like, until there's a sighting of him, until there's some danger, um, until the firebolt comes or something like that, where it seems like there is a real threat. Well, I'll take the opposite position uh, and argue from Arthur's point of view. I think there are merits to keeping Harry in the dark, but ultimately we know from past experience that Harry is a bit of a sleuth. Um and he's always, like, trying to figure out what the angle is and what's going on at Hogwarts, he is gonna investigate this. You know, he's not gonna mm -hmm. just take it on faith that, like, Sirius Black is coming to Hogwarts for no reason and that there's extra security for no reason. He's gonna start thinking about, and he already has started thinking about, why is there all this extra protection around me? Why are people making exceptions for me right now? Right. Um, and it's not just the boy who lived crap, because I've been dealing with that since I was 11. And this is all extra special stuff. So he's already sort of on edge regarding like what's going on. He's going to get to the bottom of it. It's better to tell him and scare him a little bit mm -hmm. and say, look, this guy is really dangerous. I know you faced Voldemort before. Right. This guy is probably just as bad and he's got it out for you personally. So you really need to stick close to the people that we have protecting you in the security of Hogwarts where it's very unlikely that he'll be able to get to you, mm -hmm. okay? So, you know, that's what Arthur tries to do, and I think he was right because, um, you know, ultimately I think Harry is a little bit afraid after hearing that discussion. Um, I think he is a little bit arrogant about it too, but when Mr. Weasley explains it to him, you know, I think Harry does see his point where he's like, yeah, okay, I'm obviously I'm not going to go looking for him. Like, I don't, you know... There's nothing about that that would make me want to go looking for him. Right, right. Um, so I agree with Mr. Weasley's position there because you don't want to give Harry all the facts. You don't want to tell him yeah. this guy is responsible for your parents' deaths because then you'll instill in him the desire for revenge. You also don't want to keep him completely in the dark because then he'll start getting his own ideas about what's going on. And that picture might be more tempting than the one that you create for him. 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess let's talk about what do we think ultimately um, Arthur's choice to tell him against the wishes of the ministry and everyone. Do we think that ultimately does help him or hurt him? Um, I think, you know, Arthur thinks it will prevent Harry and Ron from taking more risks, um, but I don't think that works. I mean, I think maybe Harry's scared, but he doesn't really act like he's scared. Um, his actions don't really show that later, and I wonder if ultimately if he would have been safer not knowing yeah it's an interesting thought but as i said i I think you know harry's desire for information is not gonna be stopped here and it's better just to tell him what he needs to know rather than keep him in the dark because otherwise he's just gonna find it out on his own anyway and and if you can control the narrative in this case i think you should Mm -hmm. so if harry doesn't overhear that conversation in the three broomsticks later on Mm -hmm then he doesn't learn about the fact that Sirius is responsible for his parents' deaths until, like, the end of the book. Right. And then that probably keeps him from doing all this reckless stuff. Right. So it really is just by chance that he ends up overhearing that conversation. Um, So Arthur's plan, I think, was a solid one. You know, give him enough information so that he knows that he shouldn't do anything stupid. Mm -hmm. Don't give him so much that he goes out looking for him on his own. Um, And I think that works up until it doesn't, basically. There's a whole lot of eavesdropping that goes on in the series. Yeah. And I think you brought up an interesting point. Like, Harry's not really afraid of it, but we are about to learn something that Harry is afraid of, which Mm -hmm. are the Azkaban guards. And we'll explore that a lot more next chapter. But I think a lot of the um, themes surrounding this book are about fear. Yeah, And and about the nature of that. And, And Harry's response to learning that a serial killer is after him is it sheds an interesting light on his feelings of fear regarding like his own safety and stuff it seems like he doesn't really care no um but what does scare him is his past basically right so back to just the conversation between arthur and molly that he overhears um this is i think one of the first times that we hear anyone anyone that we like or care about really questioning the safety and of Hogwarts and the judgment of Albus Dumbledore. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that just might be interesting to think about, you know, that this is introduced um, relatively early in the series. And also to think about, you know, Dumbledore's power and the judgment of um, him and the ministry, as well as just the idea of Hogwarts being you know, supposedly the safest place, but also so unsafe that they need prison guards. Yeah. And I think if you're an outsider, you know, obviously we have a skewed perspective because we're in Harry's head all the time. Yeah. But if you're an outsider who doesn't see Dumbledore as this like paragon of virtue and bravery, you might start to be seeing the cracks in Hogwarts forming now because in the past two years, there have been two instances of Voldemort appearing on the Hogwarts campus. Um, and trying to kill people. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's really not the best. Yeah. Like, I would be already afraid to send my children to Hogwarts yeah. now. Um, and now you're telling me there's a serial killer on the loose. Yeah, I'm going to want some extra security around Hogwarts. Because it's clear to me, as an outsider, that Dumbledore isn't the best at keeping his students safe. You know, I'm right. sure he's doing an okay job at most of it. But in terms of the safety factor, it's really come down to luck a lot. And he's relying a lot on this little teenage boy and yeah. Harry Potter. Um, and you don't want your headmaster to be relying on the actions of a kid to save the day every time. Right. Well, and, you know, no matter, you know, what everyone's opinions are about this, I do think it's a little bit like 
saying, um, you know, we're going to have, like, armed soldiers at this event for extra security, whereas to me, and I think to some people, seeing that makes you feel more scared and less like you want to go to the event. Yeah. And some people might feel like, well, that makes me feel safer, but I think it could definitely go the other way as well. And I think that Dementor surrounding the castle um, feels that way to a lot of the faculty and Dumbledore mm-hmm. and just in general, a lot of people have that that feeling going into this year. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't want armed guards around my school all the time. And I understand, you know, why that needs to be the case sometimes. But um, yeah, it wouldn't make me feel any safer. I, you know, I can understand the perspective of parents who would be in favor of that, just, you know, worrying about their kids. Um, but like, you know, as a student myself, I would prefer not to have that. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Leaky Cauldron. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially our little Arthur versus Molly debate, uh, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we spookily glide through Chapter 5, The Dementor. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.